0: Hi, I'm David Freudberg, the host of Humankind. People sometimes ask about the big picture of our work. Why do we present these programs? The answer is we're trying to cultivate a more cohesive sense of community, and our vision of community is based on personal ideals and values, such as compassion, generosity, equality, and civility. We aim to serve the large and growing audience of people who seek a positive alternative to media negativity and exploitation. And we strive to shed light on solutions, not just problems. If you resonate with this vision, you can support us at humanmedia.org and click How You Can Help at the top of our homepage. Thank you. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund. Additional funding for this series has been provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the National Institutes of Health, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, and the Park Foundation.
1: Life expectancy in this country was 47 at the turn of the 20th century in in 1900, and it's, it's close to 80 now, and among some Uh, ethnic groups it's over 80 and some people uh, think that in the coming decades due to medical breakthroughs it, it could easily reach 100.
0: With extra time on their hands millions of people later in life are starting careers that make a social contribution. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. They're known as Encore Careers, a new wave of employment for people approaching or in retirement who are still able-bodied and want to do jobs that give back to society. Part of their motivation is to meet ongoing expenses, but they also want to participate in fields like education, healthcare, and the environment that can make a difference. Mark Friedman of Civic Ventures in San Francisco is author of Encore.
1: A lot of people tell me that they're finally doing the work that they were put on earth to do, that much to their own surprise the this period that was supposed to be a time of disengagement, even decline, has ended up being the most fulfilling time in their life. Um, a time when they've been able to do work that was closest to their heart, that that really used everything that they they learned. I, I remember talking to um, one woman in, in Portland, Maine, and she was describing where she said, it's not a job, it's a joy. And it reminded me of the, the poet March Piercy who said, that a pitcher cries for water to carry and a person for work that is real.
0: Mark Friedman began focusing on the underutilized potential of older workers when he was once involved in a national study at the Big Brother and Sister Programme mentors were in short supply, compared to the tens of thousands of kids seeking guidance from an older person. He realized the population of baby boomers as it enters retirement comprises an enormous resource that society cannot afford to squander. He says the concept of retirement as a kind of endless vacation is a relatively new development. Well, people
1: worked till they dropped for centuries in this country. And it wasn't until the 1930s when we were mired in the Depression and a quarter of young people in the country were unemployed that we began a concerted effort to get older people out of the workforce uh, as soon as possible. And so the part of the origins of Social Security was to free older people up during this terrible economic time, from a hand-to-mouth existence, but it was also to uh, to create an incentive for them to leave the workforce.
0: Was that an explicit goal of Social
1: Security to, to remove the elderly from the workforce? It, it it was, and and but to but to do it in a way that was humane. Um, I mean, there was a real concern in this country that we would have a revolution akin to what had happened in Eastern Europe, and. Roosevelt was creating programs like the Civilian Conservation Corps. He said he wanted 300,000 Boys in the Woods out of the theory that if if young people, young men in particular, were occupied, they, they it would stabilize the circumstances in the in the country. Employers liked it because it meant that they could hire younger workers who were less expensive, and actually unions supported it as well because it meant new members for them. So this coalition forged around the idea of retirement at, at 65.
0: When President Franklin D. Roosevelt signed the Social Security Act in August 1935 as part of his New Deal, it was the first time the U.S. government had instituted a program to look after the elderly. This Social Security measure gives at least some protection to 30 millions of our citizens who will reap direct benefits through unemployment compensation through old-age pensions and through increased services for the protection of children and the prevention of ill health.
1: Many of the young New Dealers who were crafting these policies believed that we'd hardly ever pay out a pension. They picked 65 because that was the age that Otto von Bismarck had set for the 19th century Prussian military pension. And as it turns out, historically, they they were right. In only Eleanor Roosevelt, out of that whole group that FDR pulled together lived past 65.
0: Census statistics show that longevity in the United States varies by gender, race, income, and geographic region. But overall, as the nation's standard of living has tended to increase, public health has improved and people live longer. Mark Friedman.
1: What wasn't fully anticipated is is that this period between retirement at 65 and when people did eventually pass on, would grow, and and it, it was unclear what you did in that period. Like Walter Reuther, the great UAW leader in in the late forties, Auto up, Workers Union. Yes, got up in front of his union in Milwaukee and described retirees as too old to work, too young to die. This sort of state of limbo, dangling at the end of the lifespan with no real purpose. Experts were telling people to just stay out of the way, to not get too excited, and. And as that period uh, grew in in time, and as people got healthier and healthier, it was it was quite an awkward time for people who, um, you know, who really. Uh, Felt like they had been uh, cast out of out of society, and not just for some brief hiatus, but for this extended period. Retirement was described as a roleless role by one sociologist at that point, and and Lewis Mumford, one of the great American social commentators, said at no point in any society had any group been so rejected as older people today. So it was a it was a tough time for older people in the '50s in, in this country.
0: Because people were living longer and they didn't have really much purpose or much to do. No no role in American life. The dilemma faced by many seniors amid the cultural changes of the mid-20th century was explored in this 1947 educational film, A Place to Live, narrated by Alexander Scorby. What about communication between the young and the old? They live together but have no common language for no effort has been made to bridge the chasm between the world of the aged and the world of the young. Rather is this distance widened when there is no work, no responsibilities, no reason for life for a human being whose years had been filled with work and responsibility and purpose.
1: People are continuing to to live longer and longer.
0: Mark Friedman, author of Encore.
1: And the, the we're seeing a population explosion of people uh, in their 60s, 70s and beyond. And the question, um, you know, if people are living longer and retiring earlier uh, as they have been over time, well, that's been changed with the economic downturn. Um, can we afford to have such a large number of people spending such a significant portion of their lives not being productive. And, uh, you know, there have been fears that we'll have a quarter of the population, which is what the over 60 population will be uh, in a couple of decades, spending a third of their lives, um, you know, on the golf course. And and that doesn't seem like a, a very good solution uh, in a society that has uh, great need for uh, for human talent, and has you know many other competing uh, needs for those resources.
0: Let's talk about what happens to productive people when they enter retirement, typically in their early or mid-60s now. How does withdrawing from a work life affect them emotionally and physically?
1: Well, I think it depends a lot whether you've been pushed out of your working life or have left voluntarily, and with the downturn, so many more people are are being pushed out in a way where, that they're not prepared for. It's not their their choice, and that's enormously uh, uh, disruptive. But I think for a lot of people who've left and, and have left of their choosing, it's a much-needed hiatus, And and I think in many ways they're using the the guise of retirement to take a sabbatical because we're working an average of 162 more hours a year than we did in the early 1970s you know people are putting in long hours not if, not just those people who were in extreme jobs in midlife but but many others as well and and after 30 years of that 40 years people are tired they need a break um, uh, the problem is that after they they've caught their breath and done some of the things on the to-do list, um, many of them are needing to go back to work because they don't have enough economic security to to last the duration. Uh, and it's very difficult to to re-enter the workforce and to find new kinds of engagement once, once you're out, um, whether you're out voluntarily or involuntarily.
0: I know in your book Encore, you also talk about how retirement... For some people can be kind of a wasteland in addition to not producing income at a time when they may need it it also creates a kind of void in their life. Can, can you describe that
1: yeah, yeah and particularly for people who who are spending a sustained period of time um, out of the the workforce out of the their daily rhythms uh, Freud's adage was that the keys to life were or love and work, um, a strong sense of purpose, a reason to get up in the morning, um, and connection to other people. When we've talked to to retirees, you know, they love, uh, especially initially, the freedom. But after a while, there's a kind of loneliness that, that comes with it. They're awash in social connections, but they miss the kind of productive relationships they had at work, uh, the idea of working with other people to do things that matter. And uh, there's a real Real sadness, uh, and there's, and so I think that this um, this isolation that so many people feel, along with the, uh, the the sense of being adrift, of not having a purpose, and for an extended period of time, it, it many people end up
0: feeling depressed. As I understand it from your research, they can tend to decline, both physically and mentally. When I go around the country
1: and talk to members of Experience Corps, they tell, uh, in many cases, the same story, which is of retiring, you know, initially loving not to have to uh, be slave to an alarm clock, but but after uh, after a while, a kind of deadening setting in, a feeling that they were no longer useful, that what they'd learned from life was being put on the shelf, they were being cut off increasingly from friends who were still working or in some cases spouses as well. And this picture of of being at home in the middle of the afternoon watching soap operas um, and really feeling like their life was going nowhere um, and it, many of them just felt that they had to turn off the TV and and, and re-engage and um, at, in some ways to, to save themselves because uh, they were spending a lot of time thinking about their physical ailments and and um, feeling down and and um, it, it really Uh, a spiral, a downward spiral had set in.
0: You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. For more information on this segment, Encore Careers, Check our website, humanmedia.org. The global economic downturn that began in 2008 abruptly changed the outlook for many Americans approaching the traditional age of retirement. They watch their savings and pensions sharply reduced, or in some cases wiped out. And concern is mounting over how the United States long term can afford the costs of taking care of its elderly population. Mark Friedman of Civic Ventures in San Francisco.
1: Well, I think the problems with Social Security are, are often overblown. And by acting soon, we can, in, in a gradual way, um, make sure that that system is solvent for the long term. Uh, Medicare and medical costs in later life are a much more serious problem and that are only going to really be be successfully tackled by an overhaul of the healthcare system in the country but i you know i'm struck by the r- richness and extent of the debate we're having about the costs of an aging society But there's not a parallel uh, discussion in the country, uh, nor anything close to the same level of uh, attention or awareness about the opportunity that's present, Uh, and having so many people living so much longer with so many skills, and in most cases, the desire to, to put them to use. Which
0: brings us to encore careers. What is an encore career?
1: I think of it as a kind of practical idealism, uh, something that combines the need that so many people have for continued income and health benefits uh, beyond what retirement age was in the past. And the spirit of service, uh, what previous generations might have uh, carried out through volunteerism, more and more people are are um, looking for through jobs that combine income and meaning, and use their experience in in ways that um, have a real social impact. Uh, that that matter um, that are not only personally meaningful but that mean something beyond themselves. Are
0: encore careers really distinct from people who later in life might choose simply to perform uh, some volunteer activity in their community?
1: You know, I think they're they're all of the in the same spirit, but the the, the distinctive. Um, uh, difference with Encore Careers is that for, for most, it, it's paid work later in life. And it's also, uh, it's a career. It's a significant body of, of work dedicated to uh, improving education or, or uh, helping to, to uh, um, make a difference in the environment. It's not just something that people are doing on the side. It, it's a central focus of, of their life. It's a real body of work.
0: How hard is it to dive into a new career in one's late fifties or sixties?
1: Well, you know, I think if you if you realize that it is a body of work, that it's something that you may well be doing for ten years, fifteen years, even even longer. Um, there's time to to make that transition, to go back to school, to uh, to do an internship, to uh, to make an investment that's going to pay off over uh, a you know, a longer trajectory. It's a range of people, uh, 40s, 50s, 60s and and beyond. In the Purpose Prize, which is a prize that we've been giving out for social entrepreneurs uh, who are older, one of the winners Uh, Gene Jones in Tucson, who started a program called Opening Minds to the Arts, started his innovation when he was 84. Uh, He's now in his mid-90s and and going strong. So it's really at both ends of the spectrum that the the limitations are being pushed.
2: There are lots and lots of retired people with great skills that have still uh, the next part of their life to do things with. So it's bringing retired people into the picture with what they know how to do and new Americans who can use all the help they can get with their English.
0: Michelle McCray in Fargo, North Dakota. She received a $100,000 award from the Purpose Prize for her work as director of Giving Plus Learning. It's a nonprofit group that connects volunteer mentors, mostly seniors, with refugees from Somalia, Sudan, Bosnia, and other areas who have migrated to the twin cities of Fargo and Moorhead, Minnesota. The mentors help these immigrants with English so they can take driver's tests, become certified for employment, and pass citizenship exams.
2: I was first in high school, I taught French and English. And then when I got into the college level here in uh, Moorhead, Minnesota, I uh, worked with returning adults that were coming back to college. I taught English, I taught French, and um, then I retired in about, well, 2001.
0: And what possessed you to leave your retirement and embark on this?
2: (laughs) That's a great verb. (laughs) Sometimes we think we're sort of going nuts out here. But somebody asked me, uh, the the group that got some grant money couldn't find anybody to take the job of directing this new concept. They asked if I would consider it. And so uh, I said, well, I could help you start it up. And that was in 2001. So I think... I thought, well, this is something that's worthwhile and it's going to be short-term, and I could do that. (laughs) It sort of changed a little bit because each year, as as giving plus learning has evolved, and we use that word a lot, uh, you keep finding new uh, ways for Americans to help new Americans Um, move along their path.
0: Michelle McRae's encore career has led her to make new connections with people that she finds very satisfying. At age 72, though, she's ready to participate at a different level.
2: At the the stage I'm at with my age, I'm looking at pulling back with some of the day-to-day, let's take care of this stuff, and shifting roles. But again, I think that whole idea of what are you going to do with the... uh, last part of your life is a big question, and I think we're in a new world. And uh, I see us having all kinds of years with people with all kinds of experience uh, just waiting to be asked. And then you're starting to say, what do you do with your retirement years or the end? And I think the answer is a lot of things. And so in this changing environment of aging, I think this kind of thing is going to come up more and more.
0: A recent study estimated that between 5 and 8 million older Americans have now launched on core careers. Mark Friedman of Civic Ventures collects their stories.
1: One of my favorites is Gary Maxworthy, who lives here in, in San Francisco, and I think I like his story because it, it really uh, underscores the value of experience. Maxworthy, somebody who wanted to go in the Peace Corps when he was younger, but he already had a family and, and couldn't afford to do it, so he moved into the food distribution business and had a, a long and successful career in that in that area. But when he was in his late 50s, his wife passed away, and it it forced him to re- rethink what was important in his life. and He uh, he quit his job and he joined Vista uh, the the domestic version of Peace Corps, they sent him to the food bank in San Francisco where he quickly discovered that the food banks in the state were primarily giving out canned food and processed food, which wasn't especially healthy. And he knew from his earlier job that an enormous amount of fresh produce was being thrown out every year because it was blemished in some way. It wasn't supermarket quality or restaurant quality, but really was nutritionally... Uh, it, it, perfect. And he decided to bring, put two and two together and bring this produce that, that was otherwise going to be thrown out and food banks, which were serving millions of people in the state together. But the difference between what Gary Maxworthy might have been able to do at 22 and what he was able to do close to 60 is that he, he knew how to distribute produce at a vast scale from his 30-plus years in the working world, and so he created the farm-to-family program, which last year distributed over 60 million pounds of produce to food banks in California. And it, it shows, you know, we tend to think of innovation and experience as being inimically imp- opposed, but it, Gary Maxworthy's example and the examples of many of the other 4,000-plus nominees for the Purpose Prize over the last few years demonstrate that they can go hand-in-hand. Another social innovator is Robert Chambers in Lebanon, New Hampshire, who who also underscores the reality that many of these innovators aren't Bill Gates. They're ordinary people who have uh, had ordinary jobs and in many cases showed no signs of being entrepreneurs until they reached later life. Chambers had worked in the banking business um, and in, in a variety of roles, retired in his 50s, moved to Lebanon, New Hampshire, where he uh, he wanted to ride his bicycle but he realized like so many others that he he couldn't afford to do that for years on end and so he took a part-time job working at a used car dealership in the area and sounded great but after not too long he discovered that the dealerships including the one he worked for was making were making many of their profits off of unsophisticated rural buyers, woodchucks, as the, the, they were referred to in in Lebanon. And as he'd seen this repeated over and over again, he, uh, he just felt like he couldn't continue to be part of that system. So he created an agency which has uh, helped hundreds of low-income rural buyers, not only in Lebanon, but all throughout northern New England get credit counseling and low-interest loans to buy fuel-efficient new cars so that they can work and support their families and contribute to their communities. And so Robert Chambers is just another example of a common-sense entrepreneur who saw a problem in front of him and decided to act.
0: Some people dive into Encore careers, applying skills they've already acquired and honed. For others, there can be a learning curve, opening up new vistas of knowledge and experience. Mark Friedman.
1: Well, you know, I, I do think that there's a role for school at this juncture, essentially school for the second half of life. One of the great innovations of the last 25 years was lifelong learning. Elder hostel being the epitome of that breakthrough. There were all these people dressed up, and it gave them a place to to go. Well, and now I think we need a new kind of s- school that's not just about self development, but it's also about career development and what you're going to do next. And so I think. We're going to see innovations uh, in a variety of ways at community colleges, uh, in graduate schools, and other kinds of settings that that are going to help people prepare for this phase. We're not just witnessing the extension of of life, but actually uh, the transformation of the stages of life that, that a new uh, phase of life is being created between the middle years and true old age. And that's a historic development. Tens of millions of boomers, 10,000 a day on average, moving into an, a new phase um, that we haven't yet named. We haven't decided what constitutes success in this period. But it's a, it's a time that's not just a, a, a brief period, but for many people will be a couple of decades in duration.
0: How do you see the economic downturn that began with the financial meltdown starting in 2008, changing this picture.
1: The trend uh, away from earlier and earlier retirement and towards longer working lives was Already evident before the downturn, and I think the downturn has just cemented that shift. At the same time, I think the economic circumstances have um, have really prompted a reexamination of of people's values about what they're looking for from work, about what really matters, and I think that in the when we come out of out of this period. Um, I think we're going to see um, a, a real shift away from the kind of materialism that was so prevalent, for, particularly for the last decade, Towards um, a desire to um, to move into areas like education health um, uh, human services where there's a, a different kind of, of satisfaction the satisfaction of, of uh, strengthening community of, of doing work that has integrity and so I think I think we're, we're seeing both an economic shift and a, a cultural shift that's prompted by uh, By a lot of the difficulties the country's been facing.
0: Mark Friedman, author of Encore and founder of Civic Ventures in San Francisco. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Antonio Oliard. Editorial assistance from Thomas Royal and Kathy Graham. Webmaster, Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Tony Buck. Our program is produced by Human Media in association with WGBH Boston and The Network Incorporated. Program development provided by Short Media.
2: You can hear more episodes of our series at humankindpodcast.org. That's humankindpodcast.org.
0: This segment, Encore Careers, is Humankind Program Number 137.
2: The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio.